the path of the witch is so unique. The, the gift of witchcraft. I was able to see, hear, and communicate with spirits. A very personal relationship between a person and spirit. Carnal lust and some things like that. Working with different energies and spirits and communicating. Creating magic. Powerful yeah. ritual and powerful spells. She's actually sending me in the cold. The role of the witch is to make change. Let's it be, y'all. Let's it be. People ask me, like, okay, I'm a witch, and I don't know what to do. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of That Witch Life Podcast. I am Courtney, and I am hosting today, and I am joined by Hillary. Hello. And Kanani. Hello. And today's episode is going to be about protection magic, which is what I have found through teaching magic is probably one of the more popular subjects. Um, I think that was the one witchcraft class that I was teaching that sold out. I thought it would be love spells or money spells, but no, it was protection So we have a really, really fascinating witch coming on in a little while named David Shi. He's an old friend of mine and definitely one of the smartest people I know. So I'm looking forward to uh, him sharing his wisdom with us today. And um, circling back with my friends, I've actually gotten to spend more time with the two of you in person than we have spent together in the last three months over the past few days, which has been Really fun. Social distancing orders in effect, everybody. Masks, not bumping up on each other, doing everything safely. Uh, But we didn't actually spend the solstice together. So what did you each do for the summer solstice? So I did um, on the evening of the 20th, um, I set up a like an altar outside and sat until the sun went down. Um, and I used a combination of, so I did some candle magic. I also, um, uh, wrote down some intentions and then I brought out, uh, that crystal that we had previously used during the winter solstice. Right. Um, when you were at the airport and holding it up in the airport, the airport, like I was like trying desperately to get to a corner of the terminal I was in, like to, to actually be able to see the sunset. I must be at the window before dawn. I, I must be at the, the window before dawn. Listen, TSA, you're going to need to get me through here faster. No. Uh, so I took that same little crystal and put that back out. And I also put some of my other crystals that I, that I use regularly out. Um, and yeah, the, you know, the, my, my intentions were again, and we talked about this before, but, and I think I said that this is what I was going to be working on, but was shedding light on, um, but kind of twofold one for some things that I'm working on and, uh, and trying to develop in my life creatively. Um, so shedding light on that. And then I had an, another section of the altar set up for, um, you know, to shine light on social justice issues specifically around black lives matter, uh, and to try and, you know, shed light on, on being able to get people's voices heard more. Um, and so I kind of had those two things. And so I sat, I sat until the sun went down and then the next morning when the sun came up, I went back out there, um, and did really like a gratitude offering, uh, to ancestors and basically had tea with my ancestors and the dog. Oh, nice. Um, so that was really nice. 
Oh, I love that. Kanani, did you do anything for summer solstice? I didn't do too much. I did a little bit of of candle, just lighting candles, and I also uh, watched the Stonehenge, the sunrise and the sunset. Oh, yes. That they had put out, which I thought was just amazing and just pretty much solidified that I have to see it in person someday. Um, But I, I didn't do too much for the solstice. With everything going on, energetically, I just sometimes I've... I've been having a really hard time just every day just feels like the next day and the day before and it just is hard. But one of the things I've noticed is I have had a huge energy, energy spike since the solstice. I don't know. I feel like I'm starting to kind of come back to me again a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And I have noticed that it completely coincided with the solstice, which is just when I kind of started piecing that together, I thought that was very, interesting but I just I I don't it was it's very strange because I look back and it's just kind of like I said every day just feels like the other day and the day before and and I'm starting to notice that I'm starting to perk up and I'm starting to kind of call people more and um think about what you know oh look I have no appropriate clothes to wear maybe I should get appropriate clothes to wear um, I don't know. I'm just noticing uh, definitely an uptick in my energy level as well as kind of my uh, awareness of of life, I guess you could say. I think that that's true for a lot of witches and that when you start, and that's something that Raven Gramasi, the late Raven Gramasi said that it's that by following the cycles of the seasons is where a witch can really gain their power. And while there are lots of ways to gain the power as, as a witch, I do agree that that is one of them, which is in, and even if you can't do a full ritual each time, doing something as, as simple as, as, as acknowledging it, I think can, can really be helpful uh, to the work. I was really lucky this year in that two of uh, my very dearest friends, Wendy and Sean, who are witches themselves and are part of the coven that I ran in New York for a long time, or were part of the coven I was running for the long time, uh, came out to visit. And a couple of weeks ago, my husband built a fire pit in our backyard. So we lit a fire. We did our solstice celebration a little bit later. And we built a fire in the backyard. And we each stated the intentions of things we really needed to have empowered over the next six months and included, you know, things we wanted for jobs or for creative endeavors or for health. And I felt great because for each of these things, we offer different herbs and they were all herbs that I have collected over the past year Mm. from my property. And almost all of them are invasive herbs, which I've said before, invasive herbs are so good in your magic because they will bloom anywhere and they will take over anything. And it's really great to collect them because you should be getting rid of them anyway. And so the agreement that I have with the invasive plants on my property is, listen, you have options. You can either go in the compost heap and that's the end of you, or you can become a magical herb. What would you like to do? And I always get the sense that they choose the magical herb option. So they're like, not um, compost, please. <laughs> they're like, they're like, compost sounds kind of lame. It's like, it's going to be lame. And of course, some of them are probably like, yeah, I'll find my way into a new thing through the compost. I know there are some plants that are that strong, but that was, that was the plan. So 
everybody knows I use a lot of lemon balm because it grows everywhere Everywhere. where I grow. It smells smells good and I love it. So I use some of that as a way to cleanse the space. Um, I used hairy bittercress, which is that weed that has little tiny white flowers on it, tends to grow in grass a lot because the, uh, the Norse believe that, that that's, I forget what the folk term is in Norse mythology, but uh, the vernacular term in the United States is hairy bittercress. And that is, the Norse believe that would remove poison from a situation. Again, not advocating that as a medicinal herb, but I think magically it certainly does. I have seen it draw out powerful toxicity out of situations. So we added that to withdraw toxins from our lives. And also I started using Canadian thistle, which is a plant that is um, invasive here in Oregon and it's uh, grows everywhere and it's very tough to get rid of. And so, but anytime you use a kind of plant that's real prickly or kind of harsh that's a great protection herb. So something that is good that we're covering today, given that we're doing protection magic. And so I pulled, you know, a, a blossom from each of the, from three different, excuse me, four different thistle shrubs in our backyard and had myself, my husband and our two friends each throw one into the fire as a way to protect our endeavors. And we also, it also charged the crystal that the Hillary said, I start, we started them at winter solstice, making sure that they captured the first light of winter solstice morning. And then I made sure that at summer solstice, we captured the last light of the longest day. So the crystal keeps getting charged for really powerful light and shining light into areas of darkness. So anytime that I feel like something needs more attention, whether it's creatively or an issue of injustice, I can use that crystal in that work to draw attention to that, that thing. So I want to switch gears a little bit here and bring in the segment that is becoming increasingly both loathed and loved by our listeners. In Kanani reviews a movie the rest of the world has already seen. And the big question is, will she shit on your childhood favorite? So uh, we know a lot of people have requested that Kanani watch uh, Kiki's Delivery Service. And this movie is scheduled to be available on Netflix soon. But for right now, we would have to shell out the 15 bucks to buy it. And uh, we're a little overextended in our podcast budget at the moment. So stay tuned. That review is coming. In the meantime, I believe Kanani was going to review The Dark Crystal, which makes me really nervous. Okay. So <clears throat> I was able to rent The Dark Crystal on Amazon Prime. So it's about kind of this other world or planet where at one point my crystal is damaged and the world is separated into different groups. And there's kind of a good group and a bad group and then some other groups mixed in between. And the bad group is in power and kind of in charge And the good group is kind of left off to the side, trying to live in peace um, while the bad group is in charge. So it's all done in puppets. (laughs) I love your review. It's the bad group and the good group. The bad group and the good group. And it's all done in puppets. And I'm actually a huge Brian Froud fan. So I have actually always wanted to see this movie because this was his first, I think this is the first one he worked with Jim Henson on. He was the uh, kind of main designer of the puppets for this one. 
he was the, I don't remember what his title was, like main costume coordinator or whatever. So he he helped to create the characters. I like I really liked, I don't know, it was a little Lord of the Ringsy for me. But um I thought you liked Lord of the Rings. I hate Frodo. Oh my god. I hate him so bad. I love Samwise. I love Samwise. He should have gotten all well, the that's credit. Enough. That's enough. Um, but I hated Frodo. So it was it was a little, but but in general, I did actually really like the movie. I don't know that okay. I would watch it again, um, only because one of the things I notice that um, I'm sure I'm sure everyone notices when you watch these older movies, they're so much slower than new movies, which is just like constant bombardment in your face, just constant action. So when you watch these, you're kind of like, oh my god, something needs to happen, because there's just moments of just like they're walking and they're walking. Um, but in general, overall, I actually really liked it. And I had many people threaten me if, if I did not like this movie because I had many friends who love this movie. And I, I told them, I'm like, I'm going to be equally pissed if I don't like this movie because this was on my list of movies that I wanted to see that I was really hoping I would like. And I, I actually really did. I, I enjoyed it. So why might witches need to see The Dark Crystal? That's an interesting ask. So the ending, the end premise of the movie, which I think is the reason I was such a big fan of it, was it was the concept of once they put the the piece back in the main crystal, that all the things that had been separated go back to being one. And you find that the kind of bad tribe of characters and the good tribe of characters were actually one that had been separated into good and evil. And so when things went back, there was no battle between the two. They actually joined together and became whole. And I actually really love that premise because I think that that's something important that we do, especially in our culture now um, where there's kind of a purity element to things of you're either good or you're bad. And it's, it's that concept of, of everyone is both. Everyone has the ability to do good and everyone has the ability to, to muck things up and to be difficult and to make things worse. So, um, I think it's, it would be a good thing for people to watch just because of the concept. It's about the concept of when things are torn, you know, just because something's torn apart doesn't mean that they're not necessarily all a part of the same whole. And, um, it was, it was very cute. I mean, I, I, but, uh, but I mean, I think all, most all hero movies are the exact same story. So it just kind of is what it is, but I like that. Well, it's my, yeah. A, a lot of people point out that there's, there's also a lot of connections to the Kabbalah. Um, you know, system of, of magic that comes out of, yeah, that comes out of the Jewish tradition. So that's, that would be some, a much bigger episode to unpack and probably something to be interesting to have somebody come on and talk about that. Um, but yeah, it also uh, highly recommend the Netflix, the prequel series, which, uh, Kanani, you might actually like that too. It is more fast paced and a lot more textured and that one is available on Netflix. Is that so the one would, that it's like I, the dark crystal series that has like eight episodes? Yes. Okay, yeah, I saw that. That's really beautiful. Uh, switching gears again, and we're also switching some things up, is um, Hillary is going to give us the full moon forecast for July, which is normally my job, but I am passing the torch today. 
so Hillary, what can we, it's an auspicious day because for at least here in the United States as the next full moon is on July 4th, our independence day in the middle of this uh, Pluto return. So what are your plans for the full moon or what should people plan to do? Yeah. So, I mean, I think full moons are always a really powerful time to do magic. Well, I actually, I really like doing a lot of protective magic during full moons. I also use it to recharge almost all of my magical tools. Um, I like to collect, <laughs> I like to put water out to uh, collect, to like reflect the moon in the water. It's sometimes challenging here in the pack Northwest. I know we've talked about this with you, Courtney, and we still haven't had a video of you running around trying to get the moon reflection in a bowl of water around your backyard. I'm going to, I'm working on that. It just has to, that the moon has to come up at a certain time when I'm actually like awake. Cause I, I am not getting up at two in the morning to do it. it Sorry. Y'all. Not. And sometimes, you know, sometimes I will put something out all night long. Um, so what I like to do on a full moon and what I'm planning to do on this full moon actually is, um, so there's a lot of movement in, in my life. And I think there's a lot of, especially as this being an auspicious time or auspicious date for this full moon is I am actually going to create, I'm going to go outside. I'm going to put all my tools out. Like I normally do. I'm going to put a bowl out that I'll leave out overnight. If in case I can't manage to stay up all night um, or until the moon comes up or, you know, sometimes here it's just, you have a lot of clouds that you have to deal with. Um, But what I'm going to do and something that I think is a, is a great suggestion. Um, so I like to go before the full moon. I like to write some intentions down of what I want during this next moon cycle. So things that I need to work on stuff that I want to really have energy focused on or charged. Um, and then I'm going in a very, in my craftiness that I love. I know we're all crafty little ninjas. No one, no one's quite as crafty as Kanani. Let's be real. Um, nope. <laughs> we all bow to her crafty uh, goddessness. Uh, but I, I like to create a little collage, like a vision collage um, of things that I really want to see come to fruition. So uh, what I do is I write down the int- intention on a piece of paper. I then collage on top of it with images that remind me of what I'm trying to um, mm. invest. Um, and then I put that out during the ritual uh, in the moonlight with all the other tools. And then when I'm done with the ritual or done with sitting out and kind of basking in that full moonlight, I bring it back and I set it on my altar in a place that I can see. So when I'm walking through my house, it's like there. So it's catching my eye every time I walk by. Um, it's sitting on my altar and a consistent reminder of what I want to focus on. Um, I think especially right now when you know, we have days that seem like other days and it's kind of hard to stay focused. It's a really good way to kind of ground and, and, and pull your focus into something that is a specific intention and, and then to have it there so that it doesn't get lost in this kind of lack of focus. I I feel like folks right now really feel that lack of focus because of everything that's going on. Um, and I think that this is a really great opportunity for this full moon to kind of pull rain that focus back in and be able to focus on something. So uh, be able to put your intention into that um, item. So again, I like to light a candle. Uh, sometimes I'll burn herbs that are in relation to whatever my intention is. So if it's bringing in happiness, if it's happiness and uplifting, I like to use sorrow. Um, if it's protective, sometimes I'll use different resins. Um, Benzoin, I'll, benzoin, I'll use um, 
uh, frankincense, sometimes myrrh or sometimes dragon's blood. Um, and, uh, and then, and then I also like the use of bay leaves as well. If I'm bringing in specifically, um, um, financial magic or, or if I'm trying to get, again, bring in some either protective or really like positive uplifting energy, um, bay is really good for that. So, yeah. So if you're going to do this outside, what you would look at doing is like setting up a little area somewhere outside. Um, you're going to light a candle or, uh, some sort of, if you don't have a candle or you don't want to light something, even like a, a flameless candle, um, you can set herbs out or you can burn them. And then ahead of time having, uh, you know, written out and created, you know, a collage for your intentions with words underneath it, you can set it out there. And when you are done, you can bring it back. You can put it somewhere visible on your altar so that you can continue to see and kind of grow that vision that you created for the intention that you are wanting to, to manifest during that full moon. I think that the spell is so timely because the full moon in July is a full moon in Capricorn, believe it or not. Yes, it's the realm of cancer, but the full moon is always opposite the sun sign that we're in. So we're in the time of cancer, which means the full moon is going to be in Capricorn. And Capricorn is all about structure and hard work and, and making, making things happen in a, in a very methodical way. And so I'm definitely going to be using some of this, uh, some of your thoughts, Hillary, when I, when I do my full moon work this year. Um, so thank you for that. Yeah. So we have some listener feedback, really, really sweet message that we wanted to share. And it goes, I just wanted to let you all know how much I appreciate the podcast and your beautiful souls. This journey is new to me as in me finally taking my first steps on this magical path. This podcast is incredibly informative while being intimate, like hanging out with friends you trust. The past couple of months have been um, trying personally. When I feel paralyzed with fear, I put on the podcast. Truth be told, I cycle through the episodes as is, and I'm on round number three now. But you all put my mind at ease. In fact, today I had to teach a Tai Chi class on Zoom as part of the instructor's course, and I nearly canceled. The fear kicked in to the fear kicked in due to me feeling ashamed at not practicing, not preparing, giving into my bad habits and letting them wind me down to the point of not putting effort into anything. So I put my earbud in, let my hair down so no one could see it and played a TWL episode while I taught my class. Just hearing your voices made everything better. Just wanted to share with you all the impact you have, you have have on at least one person. And thank you for going weekly with the podcast. Love to you all. Thank you for being you. Love and stuff, H. H, we are delighted that we've been helpful to you. You know, when you're working on um, any kind of creative project from your home, you never really know how it's going to affect people or if it's even going to reach people. And so I'm really thankful that you shared this with us. And I, one of the reasons we wanted to share your letter to everyone is that there is actual certifiable proof that Kanani has ever stepped foot in a Tai Chi class, even if it was through your earbud. So thank you for that. Kanani, you can now say you've been in a Tai Chi class. And I will. And you don't even know what Tai Chi is, I'm sure. I, I do. I have never, this, this is probably going to be the only time I'm ever in a Tai Chi class is when I was in her earbud. <laughs> but I'm very excited to now have been a part of said, said experience. Um, I... You know, I I, lo- I loved what she wrote. I, I was so touched by it. I thought it was so incredible. I'm so glad that she, um, you know, finds that kind of comfort, which because I think that's something that we try and 
we just try and be open and honest with people. And, and that feeling of, I just am overwhelmed and I just don't want to right now. And, and this is hard like that. We all get that way. <laughs> we yep. all get that way. And so I'm we just so- call each other. We just call each other. And this time now we just call each other and record it and send it out to the hundred <laughs> percent. So it's like, I, I commend her a million times for being able to just kind of step up and do her thing. And I'm so glad that, you know, in some small way, we're able to kind of be a part of that with her. Yeah, for sure. You And we will always be in your earbud if you need us. You know, <laughs> that sounds threatening. Like that almost <laughs> mean, like we're going to be in the earbud. We're going to be in your earbud. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So what I learned is that also recently, speaking of ears, you know, those earwigs, those little creepy bugs oh, in the backyard that have the pinchers on the butt. Things. I hate them. They're, Oh my God. So we were, they were kind of creepy and freaking us out. And, and my friend Wendy was like, are those the bugs that crawl in your ear? And then we're like, oh no. And so we're trying to figure out how to cover our ears as we sleep. And then I went and consulted the Oracle of Google and it turns out earwigs do not actually crawl in your ears. Yeah, but they're still kind of gross. They're still pretty creepy, but I think that it's, it's just really more of that, the rainbow, the more, you know, they don't actually crawl in your ears. I- so for anyone's afraid of earwigs, that's not the reason to be afraid of earwigs. Be afraid of them because they're creepy looking, not because they, they do not actually crawl into human heads. I mean, that is a little bit, that's comforting. At least and there's so many scary things in the world right now. I'm glad I can offer some comfort. <laughs> I appreciate that. Now I won't have nightmares about bugs calling in my ears. And uh, Kanani's silent because she's like, I never even thought of that as a thing. And now I'm going to worry about I am that. so, I'm so... No, stuff like that. First of all, I don't notice. I'm I'm too unobservant to even look at an insect and try and guess what it is. And I've already accepted the fact that they say that we eat, what is it, like nine spiders a year while we're sleeping? No, that's a lie. Doesn't that's happen. what they say. So I'm just like, whatever. No, they don't. That's one of the, they, actually, they actually do say that. No, they do say that. They, I've heard nine spiders in your lifetime. No. I did not hear nine spiders in a year. I don't. I don't think so. Okay, we need to look it up right, on we'll have to We'll have to look it up. But we'll just, we will discuss it next I accept episode. the fact that I eat spiders, and so I move on. <laughs> I'm just a dirty, rotten spider eater. It's fine. <laughs> I can deal with that. <laughs> Is that your magical name? Dirty, rotten no, spider eater. That's, that's who I am. Dirty, rotten spider eater. <laughs> so um, on that note, um, we're... Um, putting this out there humbly and awkwardly, um, we know that it is a strange time to ask for money and there are certainly a lot of causes that are far more worthy than ours, but, uh, running a podcast gets pretty expensive. Um, there's website fees, there's equipment, and sometimes we have to hire, um, interpreters and there's money involved with, um, doing our transcripts and things. And two of your three, that which life co-hosts are currently unemployed um, and so we want to continue to do this work and bring you information about earwigs and spider eaters, but if we're going to, we're going to need some help. And so we have launched a Patreon campaign. Woo! Um, if you can, please consider joining. We are offering lots of goodies to make it worth your while. Um, subscriptions start at $1 a month and no amount is too small. And we appreciate at whatever you can do. If you do become a Patreon subscriber between now and the end of July, we are offering a live ritual and Q&A conversation via Zoom in August for our Patreon subscribers only. Um, In addition to that, we are bringing you uh, lots of of bonus content that's available only to subscribers. We released our first one yesterday, which is Kanani instructing people 
how to collect ocean water, sort of. I don't know how I feel about me posting videos on Patreon. I almost feel like I need to offer the apology now that as obnoxious (laughs) as I am on the podcast, I really am like that in real life. So unfortunately, now you're going to have to watch it via video as opposed to just listening to it. Well, here's the thing is that we were having this meeting about what we could offer. And Kanani says, well, I'm going to the beach tomorrow and I can collect ocean water. And Courtney, since you're going to be there, you can film it and I can instruct people how to do it. And Hillary and I both went, oh, this is not going to go well. Because we know what Kanani's like when she tries to do magical work. There's distraction, there's discomfort, there's usually a tantrum involved, and then she has to get ice cream. So, um, <laughs> so that all happened. up our last, like... 25 years of magical experience right there. <laughs> that is like the timeline right there. So it starts out with the best intentions and then it goes downhill quickly. So we have it on video, Kanani trying to do some witchcraft and it is available to Patreon subscribers only. Um, you can find the links to our Patreon on our website. And um, in addition, if a monthly subscription isn't feasible, I know for me it's often not feasible, but uh, you can buy us a coffee which are single small donations and those help us out as well. Um, and so links to both uh, Patreon and Kofi are on our website, thatwitchlife.com. And if you can't offer cash at all right now, we absolutely understand subscribing, rating and reviewing and telling everyone you know about our show is also a great help. And so, you know, we are so thankful to all of you guys. This is um, this, this whole doing the podcast has been an incredibly healing journey for me with regards, because I had a lot of challenges with witchcraft over the last few years, and this has really helped me come back home. So we are absolutely thankful to you. And we also have a lot of big plans for our future um, and the things we want to do with this podcast. And your support helps us ensure that that will happen. So we are delighted to welcome David Shee to That Witch Life Podcast. As I was saying, I've been uh, conspiring to get his ass on the show since we first started, and I finally got him. So yes. All right, David. David Shee is a spiritual worker and folk, ma- folk magic practitioner of Manchurian descent, Raised in a household that incorporated both Southeast Siberian and North Chinese practices, David has dedicated his spare time to the study of the spiritual traditions of his ancestors and of greater Eurasia. Recognized as a Sangasha Ongotengerte, a future shaman prior to initiation, among both Mongolian and Korean shamans, David's practices are deeply rooted in spiritual, spiritual, spirit work in which ancestral and land spirits are called to empower all workings. David is the author of the book North, A- North Asian Magic, Spellcraft from Manchuria, Mongolia, and Siberia, and has conducted workshops across the country, including Catland Books, as well as the Hoodoo Heritage Festival, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Courier Company, and was a featured guest on the radio show Condolo's Corner by Condolo Kimbisa and On Sacred Ground by Kai Armand. David also teaches the Korean traditional drumming art of Hongmu Nori. David, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. By the way, which is um, his book, North Asian Magic, Spellcraft from Manchuria, Mongolia, and Siberia, is again something you absolutely need to have on your bookshelves. It's um, incredibly informative, a lot of very dense information, but David is a writer that is, um, is so clear that even taking this very complicated work, you read it very, very easily. And it's not a very long book. It's what, 88 pages? Uh, not 96, I believe. 96 pages. Okay, so it's yeah. a very short book, but full mm-hmm. of just really great information and a, a lot of magic that the contemporary witchcraft tends to sadly overlook. And so I'm really, really thankful that you've been 
doing all this important work to bring this into uh, the, the, you know, the, the Western consciousness. Um, so given that, how did you know, David, that you were a witch? You know, it's actually really funny. I, I remember actually asking you what your definition of witchcraft is, because it is it, it isn't very much a, a Western word and whether these practices can be considered to be witchcraft is always kind of up for debate. Um, mm-hmm. But just speaking for myself personally, it's um, it's actually really interesting. I from, from a, I think a lot of your other guests have said something similar, but from a very young age, um, I remember uh, being aware of a lot of different uh, energies and spiritual entities just being around. I think even as a child, I actually had a next door neighbor who was one of my best friends were about the same age. And we would actually, when we're playing together, we would actually pretend to be witches. Um, nice. I think, yeah, I think actually she's, um, I believe she is actually, well, I didn't know this at the time, but she was um, adopted from Ma- Romania. I believe she is of Romani descent, of Romani roots. And I think she's actually doing like witchy stuff too on her own. I haven't connected with her very much I should um but but that, I guess that was the first incarnation and I think um I didn't really start identifying myself in the western sense of the word until around 12 13 and it's kind of a lot of different things co- coming together I was um for one I was very interested at the time in Arthurian legends because I had to read that for school and at the same time I was also into uh fantasy gaming uh, and I think Harry Potter was out around the same time. So it's just all of these things coming together. Uh, and then I think throughout that process, I actually discovered that there were uh, people uh, all over the world, but at the time in the U.S. who were practicing uh, magic. Um, at the time, the, the resources online, uh, this was like early 2000s, so not too bad, but still um, some on the internet just about uh, witchcraft and paganism. And I kind of just started looking into those, researching into those. And a lot of those do can, did conceptually make sense. Um, but I've never really felt like I could fully, con- I could connect, but I could not fully connect for whatever reason. And this actually uh, lasted for the next 10, 20 years until I was actually um, in college and out of college when I started becoming more aware of the practices of my ancestors and the reason why this came to me so late is because my parents actually grew up in a communist country during a time known as the Cultural Revolution, which is a period of time when China and its territories, which include Manchuria, Inner Mongolia, Tibet and stuff, they were actually going through a social revolution where everything that was traditional and everything that was considered um, to be old was basically uh, over like overthrown. They were trying to remove all traditional culture because they were trying to establish a new culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything that was so temples, shrines, sacred places were all demolished. Um, anything Western was demolished. Um, so my parents haven't been grown up under that. They basically were like super atheist, um, if you could uh, understand a sense of that word. Um, Basically, everything that was considered traditional spirituality was considered to be superstition, was considered to be, uh, in many cases, harmful or unproductive superstition. Um, so a lot, a lot, so my parents just simply didn't uh, tell me a lot of these things. My grandparents did, but only when I asked. Uh, my parents did not. So when it, and even when we saw, when we were watching like TV dramas or we're looking at 
uh, a lot of things that did portray traditional spirituality, even up to Buddhism. My parents would just chalk it up and say, oh, that's just the superstitious stuff that the, uh, the uneducated people believe, almost like it's it's what the Hicks believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I didn't really come into my own um my own spiritual practice until uh, pretty much in my early adult life uh, when I started having dreams of my ancestors. I think that was when I was most open. They first came to me, tell me to to uh, learn more about my Manchurian roots, which is something my parents didn't talk about much, even though we were of that ethnic minority. Uh, mm-hmm. Learn more about the Manchurian roots, learn more about the shamanism, start by learning the, the shamanisms of our neighbor. So this very much included Mongolia, Siberia, and Korea, which I do have some uh, not as much, but some ancestral roots too. Um, so that, so basically, that's um, sort of my entire process of coming into my current practice today. But uh, having deviated from your original question, um, I think the first time that I actually started calling myself a witch in the modern sense, the modern Western sense, of the term was when I was about twelve or thirteen years old in high school. Um, but and, and I only continue to call myself a witch only because uh, of my history, having uh, practiced, dabbled, and researched into uh, Western styles of witchcraft, and having been having been in rituals and done magic with people who are from those traditions. Um, so it's so I do still consider myself a witch in acknowledgement of those traditions, and I still do some of those practices from time to time. But I will say. I'm always careful about whether or not the word witch is appropriate for people who are still from those uh, traditions in North mm-hmm. Asia or still from those indigenous traditions. I still think it's, it's a little bit of a contentious issue. Mm-hmm. How so? Well, a, a lot of the times, well, first, well, they don't have the English word witch. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so whenever they come across that word in English, sort of two things come to mind. One is that, oh, like witchcraft is uh, Eurocentric because that's what a lot of the materials is. But the other thing is, well, when the word witch uh, came into their terminology, it was from a negative perspective. Right. Uh, so they, they started using the word witch to refer to um, spiritual practitioners who only did uh, harmful work. Um, and then the spiritual mat, the spiritual practitioners that did um, positive work of helping people, they weren't called witch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what what term might they be called instead? They'll just use their own uh, traditional term. They they might okay. actually just uh, they'll just say that the, the person is a a shaman or a bone setter or a healer or a midwife. Um, they'll, they'll just use that term, but when it's when it's someone that's uh, trying to do work to actively um, create harm or pollution, then mm. uh, they might use the word witch. But again, uh, they only use that word when speaking in the English sense. I don't like to say that I, that I am a shaman because I have not gone through the initiation process. I am identified by shamans as someone who must eventually. Um, so if that does pan out, then eventually I will take on that title for, for myself. But at the moment, I don't believe that it is, um, it is appropriate. And I think a lot, a lot of people misunderstand the word mm-hmm. shaman as well. Um, because, because sh- shaman has a very specific definition because it is actually a Siberian word. It comes from the Tungus people, the Evenk and the Manchu, uh, the Manchurians. Um, and it basically means, um, someone who was chosen at birth, um, t- by spirits to be able to go into deliberate and repeatable trance states for 
uh, either spirit possession or spirit flight. And these, these are specific people chosen at birth. So I think a lot of, this is going to cause a lot of anger amongst people in the West when I yeah. say this, but it's impossible to ever study to, to become a shaman. You just, you don't become a shaman. You either are born one or you're mm-hmm. not uh, because it's very specific people that the spirits choose. Um, yeah. So, so, so when yeah. you see, you see a lot of Instagram witches where someone refers to themselves as a shaman or they're offering $500 shaman courses. That's uh, something probably ought to avoid. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's, it's not something you, you can take workshops to learn uh, me- methodologies and practices because there are some that are uh, permissible for non-shamans to learn. But if someone is just like offering that for like, $500, that, that's a scam. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and honestly, it, it, kind of, it does irk me a little bit every single time because they're taking the word out of context and using it in, I don't know what culture tradition they're coming from but usually when someone does claim to be a shaman if i were to give them the benefit of the doubt i would ask which culture which lineage um what what's your initiation what's your um basically what what are your spirits basically i'll ask those questions and if they cannot give a good answer that's not a good sign okay well i think that's i think it's really important that you said that because i've seen you write about that um on social media platforms Mm -hmm. and things like that i think a lot of people just don't realize that and they want to be respectful. They want to do it right. And this is this is really important information for us to have. And so I appreciate that you you taking the time to to educate us and clarify that. Um, but given that your your practices are so um, are are so beautiful and so complex personally, um, would you be willing to describe with us a bit about what your personal magical practice is like? Sure. So right now. Um, Actually, I listened to your podcast with uh, Ambrosine Laguerre, and one thing that she said that I definitely 100% agree with for myself is a lot of the practice is just living a spiritual mm-hmm. life. Um, for me, at the stage that I am at now, I am aware of my spirits. Um, so the majority of what I do is I regularly go out and give offerings. I give offerings to um my, to the ancestors that are that are with me, I give offerings to uh, the sky spirits, the land spirits, um, in all the directions. Which that in itself al- almost takes as, as long as like a full like pagan ritual. Yeah. Um, and then, and then a lot of the the day to day magical work. Well, I shouldn't say day to day because I'm a hypocrite on that. But a lot of the day to day work that I should be doing. Yay, hypocrites is, anonymous. Um, We're going to have a whole hypocritical witchcraft community. <laughs> Turns out right. it's all the witches out there were all the hypocritical witches. So yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But what I really should be doing is um, basically uh, just inviting blessings every single day on a regular basis. I will do cleansing and I will also um, boost up my my protection. And that's pretty much the majority of what I do Um, on a once in a blue moon basis. I might do a ceremony or a spell, if you will, that's more specific in nature, such as anything from like employment uh, or you know, occasionally a love working, but th- those are not too common for me. For me, a lot of what I do on a regular basis is our offerings, cleansing, blessings, and protection. So it's just kind of, it's like the, the um, you know, answer email, fold, do laundry, wash your dishes, equivalent of witchcraft. It's like you do your day-to-day stuff and then you keep living. So, cause and that's, that, I think that's, that's important to remember is that, that's a lot of what witchcraft is, is supporting your, your regular life through very practical kind of means. Would that, would that be fair to say? 
Yeah, and honestly, if if one is able to actually like do those on a regular basis, it I mean to to say it in a simplistic way, it does solve a lot of problems in life and it does cr- help create a lot of opportunities. When you build um that sort of uh that habit, that routine and build a good relationship with spirits, um for lack of a better word, your life becomes more charmed. Like you don't mm. need to do any other more ancillary or specific type of magic. I, I've witnessed people who, if they, whether or not they have shamanic ancestry or spirits or not, um, if they don't maintain their spiritual hygiene, then what I, I, I just find them a lot more turmoil. Either they're like financially struggling or in the opposite case, they're financially doing really well, but their mind is almost always in turmoil. Like they're, constantly in an existential crisis that sort of it all it torments them um so they're kind of out of balance and i and i do say that this is something that everyone can work uh more on including myself um but being able to maintain spiritual hygiene does open up a lot of doors new opportunities tend to present themselves better and i will say i'm blessed because i do have my well i'm blessed and cursed because i have my spirits because for me or for people who have shamanic ancestry and spirits and are ignoring what their spirits are demanding of them, then those people, their life can fall out of place even more than for, for uh, non-shamans. Um, so, but, but in the cases where you do actually um, at not only just acknowledge them, but honor them and then uh, promise to work with them, then it bas- your life does become so much worse. Basically, if you have shamanic spirits and ancestry, then the uh, two outcomes are even more extreme. Mm. So I want to come back to this um, question about spiritual hygiene in a second, but I first want to to really narrow in on the idea of, of protection magic, because you mentioned you know, boosting up protection. And um, something we talked about at the start of the show is that's one of the things that people are most interested in in witchcraft is like how to use witchcraft for protection. So Let's. Um, what do you think of when you when you hear the term protection magic? I get nervous when I hear of. Uh, I remember hearing some young witches that they did a protection spell for themselves and then they walked through Central Park alone at two o'clock in the morning because they had their protection oh, yeah. on. <laughs> they had their protection on that everything should be fine, and uh, I was like, "That's, that's not, not. That's not okay. Yeah, that's not how it works." <laughs> no. So, so, David, how would you define what protection magic is? So in the cosmologies that I work with, um, it, it comes down to what are you protecting? Um, there, within the realm of North Asian magic, you do have basically the, the two competing systems of spirituality, Buddhism and shamanism, they have their own folk magic. With the shamanic magic, there is, or folk magic, they, they do have, nowadays they do have white magic versus black magic, but their definitions are fairly different from what they're, how they're defined in the West. Um, I think in the West, white magic and black magic just simply means like whether it's harmful or not harmful. Right. Um, Which is terminology. I hope people stop using because it's inherently racist too. the white and the black magic Just say, just say (laughs) baneful or blessing magic. There you go. (laughs) The, the, um, and they do use this same symbology in North Asia, which, um, it's probably not, well, they don't. They don't have a lot of the same racial history, but this is what they they use, and this is what they define. They define white magic as basically just your everyday magic, and that's it. And they define black magic as magic in which you are working with a 
a presence in which you might be exposed to pollution. So that mm-hmm. so that doesn't just mean harmful work. That can mean uh, cleansing work because you're cleansing away a pollution or or a harmful spirit. Or it it can some, in some cases mean protection if it's protection against a specific type of entity. And the reason why they have that terminology of white and black it comes down to their history of classifying mm-hmm. spirits as white or black. White spirits being completely benevolent and and uh, black spirits are not harmful spirits, but they are spirits who don't have an issue with doing anything. They can do both good stuff and bad stuff. And they're also extremely powerful because they're from um, the uh, the realm known as the black sky. Um, But anyways, uh, as I was saying with the whole um, white magic versus black magic, uh, cleansing would be considered black magic because you're putting yourself at risk, like exposure to pollution. Um, Pollution uh, that's the word that they use. It can also be known as like infection or contamination. Basically, just a lot of residual uh, energies uh, in the world that can cause a lot of either harm or disruption in people's life. And it can result from uh, death, death energy, or it can uh, come from anything from from like trauma, um, thievery, uh, even um, even if you do something or if you pollute the land and you piss off the land spirits, then they might actually uh, cast some uh, energy or pollution towards you and sometimes even curses. Um, so the way that you would, so, so when they, so the protection that they work with um, is a lot of times just protecting them on a day by day basis from any pollution that they might come across in everyday life, because life is messy. Even if you just go to work or you go to school and someone like, gossips about you to or gossips to you about someone else that technically does create a pollution it creates Mm. uh an energetic disruption um and even if it's positive gossip it it, it can still you know do some you know messy things um Mm. so so the protection is a lot about just um being able to protect protect yourself against that they'll still cleanse themselves regularly just to you know tie the loose ends but the protection is to uh, avoid this running into any of this type of pollution if you're just outside taking a walk. Um, Just going back to the case that you mentioned in which that person is thinking about, or that person basically did a protection spell and then did, and then went for a walk and somewhere at 2 a.m. That's, uh, it's, (laughs) I don't know how else to say it. It's it's taking a big risk doing something like that. if you're doing a, just a spell for tech protection, um, I really urge to just look at the mechanics of that spell. How long is that protection supposed to last? To what extent does that protection? Because protection can be anything from, like, let's just say a bulletproof vest to, um, to like a little ring on your finger. Um, mm-hmm. They all have different levels of, of strength. They have different coverage. Um and I'll be honest, within the North Asian uh, magic framework, protections are rarely a spell or a ritual. They're mo- more often than not, they are an object such as an amulet that has been empowered. And mm-hmm. really, there's two types. You can either empower it with uh, energy. You can activate. You can um, put protection energy into it, and it's supposed to last a certain length of time. Um, or it can, or you can activate in a sense of you're making it 
a spirit house. You put you you awaken it. You awaken either the spirit inside it or another spirit comes inside it. And then that type that type of protection is considered the most powerful because it's self-sustaining. Whenever you're just doing a spell or transferring energy into an object, it's not meant to last forever. Um, one of the most famous guys I know in uh, Japanese uh, Shinto shrines and actually in Buddhist temples too now, they do sell um, protection charms known as omamori. They're only meant to last you a year. And after a year, you're supposed to return them so that they can be disposed of. Hmm. Uh, so I think with protection, it, it is necessary to be specific on what on what type of protection you're really thinking of putting in there and and how how much it's supposed to cover, how long it lasts. Do, doing a pro, uh, unless you're doing like a new protection spell like every single like several times a day every day, um, that doesn't also that, that also doesn't give you the uh, safety of just throwing caution to the winds in terms of your day to day actions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was I was gonna say that I think like you know doing protection magic or creating a protection spell doesn't mean that you can put yourself in inherently dangerous situations and that you're in, like you're you're impermeable to yeah. that that you're is that danger that that you know i i think that um i think that it's important to remember that you know you, you can't be like i mean it's i'm not going to do a protection spell and be like well i'm going to stand in the middle of the freeway and no one's going to hit me you know, that's really not the intention of protection magic. It doesn't make you, uh, you know, protected from any danger on the, in the world, you know, you still have to use, and, and arguably in my, when I look at that, your, your intention, your, your, uh, you're negating your intention there. You're saying, okay, I want to create protection for myself, but I'm going to put myself in danger. It's kind of like, I feel like the um, a metaphor might be, you get into a car, you put on your seatbelt, and you know the car has airbags and has new tires, and then you go drive 110 miles an hour while you're drunk. And someone says, wow, that's dangerous to yourself and others. You go, it's okay, I have a seatbelt on. Well, yes, your seatbelt should be on, and that will offer you a level of protection under general circumstances, but then you have just increased the risk to a place where the seatbelt has no effect on that whatsoever. <laughs> Well, and also what you're saying is like part of, for me, it's like when I'm doing protection magic, I'm also like living that value of wanting to be protected. If you put yourself in in a clearly very dangerous situation, you're not living that value. You're not saying like, I'm, you know, I want to be protected. You're saying I'm testing this protection strength. You going to protect me or no? And like, that's, you know, that, that's, that's also like not following through with what you're asking for. You know, it's, it's saying, it's expecting that, you know, this spell you cast to be something that you then have no personal accountability for. And spirits are fickle. If they, if they see you doing that, they might get, get annoyed and just undo the, the protection yeah. that they asked, they asked for, you know, it's happens all the time. So I want to come back to this question about what, what we're using protection for. And I, I really appreciate what David said about how life is messy. And I know that I've had a lot of people come to me for tarot readings, believing they've been cursed. Once in a while, it's true that somebody out there was angry at them, stuck a pin in their pocket, and they're having some problems. That is, that can happen, but it's kind of the equivalent of you. Like when I was living in New York city, you ride the subway. That's when you're going to get sick. Cause you're going to be riding next to somebody who's going to get sick. And so you end up with a cold. And so if you end up with a cold, did somebody poison you? Did somebody deliberately sneeze on you? 
or where you just happened to bump up against somebody who had the virus and you ended up getting sick. Um, I know virus is such an, an ugly word right now. I'm sorry. guys. <laughs> but um, it, it's so the, the reality is that most of the time when we're, we're dealing with what feels like a curse, it's because perhaps we were, um, you know, got energetically imbalanced. We were hanging out with people who were kind of like psychic pig pens. I've known a lot of those people who are just the, the bad, the bad funk is rolling off of them all the time and other people pick it up. And then you start to, so, so I sometimes wonder if protection magic is not like protect me from the people who are going to curse me. Although sometimes that's helpful, but um, it's more about like protecting yourself from other people's funk. I mean, you know, yeah, others people's funk. It's not even just from other people. Sometimes they linger. I, I mean, a lot of the uh, traditional um, spiritual workers from the North Asian areas, they see like spiritual impurity, spiritual imbalances, and just like the pollution, the same way as they look at viruses. Actually, like they, hmm. like they, they give it out, and it might linger in an area. Um, one of my um, shaman friends, she actually was shocked when she found out that people in the West like to hang out in graveyards. Because in her mind, she was like, why would you ever do that? There's death energy everywhere. And people who go to graveyards to mourn, they must cleanse themselves when they leave. And and mm-hmm. I know the the, uh, the Western or some traditions like the ATRs where they do have graveyard work, They I, I know in those traditions, they also do emphasize putting on uh, protection, just overall strong general protection before um, going in. And then when they come out, they almost always cleanse themselves. And I think with them, because they do that magic, they do have that precautions. But in a lot of the North Asians' uh, spiritualities, you well, for one, they don't act, a lot of them don't have like set areas for graveyards traditionally. They do now, but in the past they didn't. So they didn't have this um, tradition of working with graveyard magic. Um, but mm-hmm. But it's it's it is one of those like high risk areas, and and whenever you you put yourself in danger or in a high risk situation, uh, a lot of the times you are not only just endangering yourself, you're also endangering whichever spirits are with you at the time, and they will not appreciate that. In the mindset of a lot of these traditional cultures, especially in North Asia, like more than half of work for protection is just avoid putting yourself in the in dangerous situations. If it's part of your job, that obviously cannot be helped. But if it's not something that in their mindset, if it's not something that you need to do, don't do it. Yeah. Um, so right. th- that's why in those churches, they actually have a lot of listed taboos, like a lot of listed taboos, which they advise people to follow, to not do this and not do that. And that really does carry um, a lot. Uh, uh, that does carry you a lot of the way there. And then do putting up actual spiritual protection on yourself will then, you know, fully help cover a- anything else that's left. Yeah. So you also want to, I want to come back to the question about spiritual hygiene. Um, can you explain a little bit more about what, what qualifies spiritual hygiene and um, how it's helpful in protection magic? Sure. Um, well, in terms of just hygiene, a lot in the North Asian tradition, when they're asking, when people are talking about protection, really it comes down to what you're protecting. And almost all the time, the answer is uh basically your vital energy. Your vital energy is basically the energy of your soul. Um, they have vital energy and then they have you know, personal power energy known as wind horse, but really mm-hmm. you're pro- providing protection to um, 
your vital energy. Your vital energy actually gives you the ability to do a lot of things, both spiritually and physically. Um, and your personal power will actually, your personal power does that. Your vital energy is basically the energy of your soul. And to what they're tied together so intimately that one goes down, the other goes down and then your life falls apart. Um, what, so really with uh, vital energy uh, and what it means for your spiritual health is that you constantly need to both um, to like build it as well as protect it. And then if pollution comes in um, and pollution comes, it actually uh, attacks your vital energy. And so you have to remove that pollution um, to, in order to, to build your vital energy back up. Um, mm-hmm. if, if you don't maintain proper spiritual hygiene, a lot of these pollutions will stick to your body. You'll basically, um, you, you basically become a one of those sick people who then can not only not only infect others, but you can also a lot of things in your life uh, will starts um, will start falling apart. A lot of people who have um, who are paranoid who, who become paranoid. A lot of people who uh, basically have troubles with money. Um, some people who have heavy death energy, they just, um, to a lot of shamans, they just reek of a rotten smell, um, because it's literally attacking their life energy. Um, Mm -hmm. it's being, having, having protection and then cleansing that protection is, uh, extremely important in order just being able to have that proper, um, spiritual hygiene that will ultimately help support the other parts of your life. Um, there's, we've actually seen a lot of cases where there have been uh, f- positive physical effects from maintaining good spiritual hygiene. Uh, so you're less likely to get sick. And if you do get sick, you recover it um, a little more easily and more quickly. Um, and then you, you'll have more energy throughout the day. You'll have better focus and concentration. Um, it's basically just being able to live through life easier and then having a lot of competencies that are, that just come a little bit more naturally. Um, so you don't, so you're, so like if you're sluggish all day, that could be a sign that you need to both improve your cleansing and then put up more protection. So what is, um, I wanted to ask about, um, uh, what would be a good practice for say the average Western witch to, to, to embrace um, a good spiritual hygiene, would it, would it be a salt bath? Would it be, um, you know, um, would it be some kind of affirmation or in you know, what would be a good practice to build protection for the average witch? Okay. Um, so I'm going to answer that in two parts because there is going to be a more protection aspect and then a more cleansing aspect to it. Um, with, with the whole protection aspect, one of the most powerful ways that I've seen, that I believe in terms of protecting yourself day to day isn't necessarily through a, a ritual spell, but but actually creating an, an item, an amulet that you can then carry with you and it'll protect you when you carry it. Um, a lot of people in the West know about putting energy into objects. I think that's pretty common, um, but there's not a lot of... Um, conversation about truly activating an object and bringing it to life so that it so that it becomes a living thing with a spirit that protects you uh, and that I consider to be a lot more powerful because it is self-sustaining and it's also more versatile um, it's almost like um, 
kind of kind of a crude analogy, having a bodyguard versus having a shield. Um, mm. So in, in that sense, what the objects that they use most commonly are metal objects. Um, so most, so a lot of um, they use actually a lot of mirrors. Um, so mirrors made of um, copper, bronze, uh, or even brass will work too. Um, sometimes they'll use like iron, iron bells or iron uh, jingle cones. Um, tiger bells are very much often used. But basically, in order to activate these objects, um, you need to uh, use a cleansing herb and cleanse over it, and then pray over it, give offerings to it over. And you, this process needs to be be repeated and um, with invocation to your spirits or your gods um, over and over and over again. And at some point, if it does work, you'll know that it has worked when that object starts emitting a heat. Um, mm-hmm. One of my, one of my mirrors, this the one of my mirrors is actually extremely powerful. It was uh, forged traditionally by um, shamans from North Mongolia from a lineage that was, that's remained unbroken since the time of Tingis Khan. Um, mm. They actually provide me a mirror and this mirror I don't know how to describe it. It's it almost defies physics. When you hold it up to your face, it feels hot. Like it feels like it's like it's it's like a heater. It's emitting heat, but then when you touch it, it's cold. Um, hmm. So it's basically that's how you would know, or some aspect of that is when it starts to feel feel like it's emitting a heat. That's when you know that it has become alive, and that object. And because you've done it, it, it becomes protection that's customized for you, so that it will mm-hmm. then work for you. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, and then that type of object, uh, it doesn't need to be recharged because there is um, because there's already a spirit living there; it's already alive. But you do need to uh, regularly be able to cleanse it and you know and feed it and uh, and give offerings to it. Mm-hmm. What they most often do is that they actually do use a smudge of a cleansing herb. So, like they'll take a cleansing herb and they'll uh, burn it. Um, in North Asia, they most commonly use juniper, but they do use other herbs as well, but most commonly they use juniper. Mm, I love juniper. Yeah. Uh, um, The the other part I really want to talk about is the cleansing part. And I started with it, with the the uh, cleansing with the smoke. Um, A lot of these traditional cultures, they cleanse with alcohol as well. Um, They traditionally Mm. use either vodka or Chinese fire water, basically a a clear... um, a clear alcohol, so, so not alcohol with a color to it, but a clear one. Um, mm-hmm. And and oftentimes, and I'll, I'll give another bit of folk magic that is um, okay to share, but they actually create um, something that is called a spirit water or cleansing water, if it's not necessarily spirit water. Basically, it's when they take some cleansing herbs. It can be a juniper or a combination of other herbs, and then you actually put it in water and you bring it to a boil, uh, and as and as it boils, you then then invoke your spirits and your deities to to uh, bless it, to uh, give it cleansing properties, and then that actually becomes a, a water that a spiritual water that can work with to cleanse not only yourself but your um, but your protection. So if your mirrors, your bells, your um, your jingle cones, and a mm-hmm. lot of the times when they actually do prepare like a bath, like you mentioned a salt bath, they actually um, they combine it with uh, they combine that water with milk and vodka together. Sometimes they add salt. They don't add salt all the time. And they use that as a spiritual bath as well. And, and oh, the- wow, that sounds so delicious. I'm like, I better run up to the store and get me some cheap vodka later. Not for drinking, <laughs> for bathing. For bathing. 
Yeah, and and that type of um, protection is actually no protection and cleansing is known to be able to work with most forms of spiritual pollution. Um, so it's actually considered an extremely simple but powerful spell that actually in in Mongolia even the non shamans know and use this all the time. It's only and it it solves most problems. Only the, the problems that it, it cannot solve, then they'll go to a shaman because then you'll need some heavy duty uh, like machine gun level stuff to get in there. Mm, um, mm-hmm. But but yeah. I feel like this is so pertinent right now because we're all walking around in death energy, whether we realize it or not. And we've talked about the days rolling into each other. We've, we've, you know, we, we had a, a listen listener feedback saying it's just how energetically difficult it's been for her to focus and all this stuff. And so I feel like, Hey, witches, this is some really valuable tools that we all should be working to incorporate in, in a way that's appropriate for um, our lifestyles, our own backgrounds, our own practices, whatever's feasible for you to, you know, to, to, shore, to cleanse and to shore up. And, and so David, I think this is going to be really, really helpful to a lot of people. So thank you. I want to switch gears and we've got, we do have a listener question that I would be really good to get David's perspective on there. And, um, hello, I've been enjoying your podcast for a little while now. I've been binging since I'm fairly new and I've recently been seeing some things lately and I'm curious if you have any assistance about it. Just last night, I bought a metal key hanger that will be used to hold something above my door. I saw seven birds that came close or past my car just this morning. I've been seeing a yellow butterfly quite often. Are these all signs from someone, do you think? I tried to do some research, and one of the Greek goddesses that kept coming up in my searches was Hecate. Is it normal for one to show up to be Greek, not Celtic, or others? Well, a couple of thoughts I have here. Um, So seeing the yellow butterfly may be a sign. It also may be just what's going on with the season. Um, I There's... With, with when you're getting animal spirits, I take note to say, are the animals acting in a way that's unusual, or are you coming in really close contact with them? I know that uh, for me, we, we do have coyote in my area. We also have uh, we also have cougar, and um, so just seeing a coyote run through the park to me would not be a sign. But one something that did happen yesterday that made me pause is a coyote ran right in front of my car and then ran alongside it for a while before running off into the woods. And that was unusual. I don't, and it was the middle of the day. You usually see coyotes at night. Um, so to me, that's asking that spirit baby, me trying to tell me something through, through coyote. And so what I want to do is find out more about, we know that they're, we, they're often associated with trickster gods and stuff like that, but I'm also going to find out, um, you know, what are unique about the coyotes in Oregon? Because that, whatever is unique about them may be something for me to pay attention to in me. Um, with regards to, you know, Hakate or, uh, coming up, um, Hakate is not really associated with, uh, with birds or butterflies. You know, she's more of the chthonic deities are considered the underworld, um, snakes, um, black dogs. So I, I would suspect that perhaps Hakate is coming up because she's very popular right now. And so doing the Google search, you're going to see a lot of references to her. Um, as for one to be Greek versus Celtic, uh, not, not everything has to be Celtic <laughs> and, uh, Celtic is also a very broad term. Um, so if, if something is, if you're finding you're having more experiences from one pantheon, that's not Celtic, that's just great. Those gods are calling to you. It could be that Hecate is calling to you. Um, and it could be that there's, um, there's other sorts of, uh, messages coming to you through these other animals, what I would ask is, what are the animals coming to you? What is the, um, 
the the folklore surrounding these specific animals. It may not be a god or goddess. And also look to see scientifically what is unique about these animals. Um, I know for me, the, the dragonfly came up a lot, and that's considered what I call that one of my critters. And what's unique about the dragonfly is that it hasn't evolved much since the dinosaur age. And it's the one of the best killers in the animal kingdom. So it's really good at what it does, and it got it right the first time. So for me, when I see a dragonfly, it's not about a god or goddess so much. It's a, personally assigned to me that um, I'm doing something right. But to someone else who has a different relationship with the dragonfly, it has different history with them, it's going to mean something else altogether. But it'd be really good to um, get David's perspective on uh, the animal signs and what this might mean for this, this person who's new in, in the craft. I 100% agree with what you said about um, whether or not the animal is actually doing something that's unusual. I think one of my favorite comic memes I've ever seen was just two squirrels looking at each other. One of them says, I just saw a human. What is the significance of seeing a human? Um, and uh, r- really, I would say that with um, with these animals, it's very important to really take note of what type of of animal it is. So if it's so if it's birds, for example, what what kind of bird is it? What color was it? What was it doing? Was it um, just what are its behaviors? Uh, and then in terms of which gods or spirits that are from, it it will really differ on a case by case basis, especially when uh, between different people. Um, if you think it is from one of your uh, gods or spirits, and you want to figure out. Uh, who or where it's from, then I would suggest two things. One, look at what traditions your an- your ancestors have practiced, which spirits and which gods have they worked with. Uh, because if if though if that is a tra- a spirit or a god that has a relationship with your family, with your bloodline, then they're going to be the ones that come through most often. Um, and that even includes with any work that you've been doing for you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, which ones you've worked with. Those will be the ones that will respond. It's not common for random gods and spirits to show up just randomly in your life unless um, there, is, there, there is reason for them to. So in which case, they, they've come across you before, whether it's you've attended a, a group ceremony where that god or spirit was invoked and that was your first time meeting them but it it doesn't happen too too often and then and then second of all and i think this kind of uh, is in line with what courtney has said but what is um what's the spiritual wildlife uh, in your area look like um if it's just a case where it is a just a random animal just passing by just minding its own business it might not mean anything um but if those if there's, there are multiple animals that are behaving in a way that is not typical and their attention is on you, that might be uh, an interaction with one of the land spirits um, that are there. Um, so reading signs is always a little bit complicated, especially reading signs in nature, because it, it doesn't require any special tools, but it is uh, difficult to interpret. Um, and it does and it does require very specialized and custom, customized knowledge and very high attention to detail. Um, so not everything passing you by might mean something, but if they do, if they are, if they do have your attention, or they're trying to get your attention, or they're doing something that's unusual, or they just happen to be even, they're just happen staring right at you and doing something unusual, then 
then yes, it, it could mean something, but it's not, I, I would always caution against necessarily what you find that on Google versus what you can figure out with respect to your own ancestral or uh, land practices. Um, because it's, I, I want to caution against the mindset of this means this, and that means that, and mm-hmm. butterfly means this, and a, a wolf means that, because it's not going to be the same every single time. It's not going to be the same for every single person. And also ask yourself what's going on in your life now, because that, um, that animal may pop up in your journey later on. So for right now, if you're going through a really challenging time and you're seeing a lot of crows, um, that may be a sign that, you know, 10 years from now, suddenly things are great and you see a bunch of crows, it might be a sign of, okay, last time I saw a bunch of crows, I was going through, uh, you know, whatever whatever challenges were. might be a sign for me to shore up my protection. I may be got to go through these challenges again. It's a constant learning process. Yeah, I would. I think right now, because you're so new in this, this is an information gathering time. Um, and like David said, find out what, what in your ancestry is, is connected to these animals and... Um, and also make and, and what what land spirits, um, what native lore in your area might also be connected to these animals, and also pay attention to what's going on in your own life, and just consider it. Okay, I'm, it's part of the learning and study. Yeah, what, so, one thing I'll quickly mention is that when people are trying to figure out what spirits that are with them or what spirits are working with them, it's it's really those two things that um, I just mentioned. Um, your bloodline is very important in terms of who spirits work with because spirits, um, one thing that they say in North Asia is that spirits uh, have extremely strong sense of smell and they can smell blood very well. Um, So they can smell bloodlines. So if they're working, if they have an extremely strong relationship with your ancestors, you're going to bet that they're going to be there for you too. So that's one aspect. The other aspect is the land that you're born on because I don't want to downplay the lands, the importance of land spirits by any means. If you're born on a certain land, you are born in the kingdom of that land spirits. And technically, um, this goes along with, with even a Native American prophecy. The land doesn't belong to us. We belong to the land. And therefore, we belong. technically, we belong to the land spirits. So developing a strong relationship with the land spirits will inform a lot of your practice. This is why for my personal practice, I use both my ancestral practices as well as practices of the land that I was born on because they are equally important. They're equally powerful for you and they both will be strong enhancers for your magic. They they actually even say that, I'm sorry, I'm rambling, but they're saying that even if you connect to your ancestors, when your ancestors come to you, they're going to encounter the land spirits before they encounter you. So having the strong connection with your land spirits actually helps open up connections to your ancestors. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, David, how can people find you or keep in touch with you? (laughs) Um, So I mostly just use my personal uh, Facebook. That's primarily what I use. Um, If if people are interested in my book, my book does appear in some metaphysical shops. It's obviously on Amazon. Um, And... So if they want more information on just folk practices, they can look in there. I will say, though, I wrote that in 2016, and I have learned so much more information between 2016 and now. So I, so new book? New book soon? New book? Next book? Well, we'll see. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, David, so much for being with yes, us. And thank you. all of you. 
so much for listening. Again, if you want to support the show, the best way is to subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Um, You can get handmade That Witch Life merchandise on our Etsy store for the next couple of days. 10% of our sales go to Protect the Sacred, which is supporting the Navajo Nation in the face of of, um, COVID. Again, we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow and keep in touch. Uh, support us on Patreon or send us a coffee. And for show notes, audio transcript, or to ask a, a question to answer in a future episode, go to thatwitchlife.com. Until then, keep moting that shit, and we will talk to you all next week. Find us at thatwitchlife.com for archived episodes or to ask your burning questions for us to answer in a future podcast. So mote it be. Okay. Google says that uh, it was the myth was that you eat eight spiders a year, but it eight spiders, eight spiders a year during your sleep. But it just isn't true. Thank yay, fucking, thank fucking god. People just don't eat. Now, I've been bitten by on my hand by spiders when I've slept. Yeah, you know, but we do not. But except for Kanani, who was apparently a dirty, rotten spider. What I do? The rest of the world. So we offered two things to keep people comforted in this time of fear is that earwigs do not crawl in your ear and you are not eating eight to nine spiders a year in your sleep. Yay. All right. We're doing good work.